Yeah, yeah. But I do feel like Mike Tyson has owned up to like some of the yeah, things oh, he's yeah, done in his past. More like has, with like yeah. what was it? Like he had a stage show on Broadway or something like oh, that. I don't know. He had a stage show. He had like a one man show where he would like kind of talk about his life. Yeah. Um, but I guess they did a Hulu show. Oh, it's just about to come out. Yeah. And he did not agree with it. He's like, I didn't sign off on this. Yeah. This is not something that I want to be a part of. Right. So. Right. I don't know. But it's also interesting, like you know, I guess from a epistemological standpoint should you only ever be known for the best or worst thing you ever did well see that's the thing is I, I've had this conversation with a few people like as we're going through this yeah. you know I guess you want to say it's like the me too movement or yeah. what have you which I always found like a weird thing to call it a movement yeah where it's like no we're just like finally yeah. what's up comeuppance comeuppance yeah. I, yeah but it's like yeah so like during this whole thing it's like a lot of people getting called out for shit they've done mm-hmm and I'm not saying that everyone. I don't know. I, it's it's one Is of those. Going to be in the podcast. I'm, I hit record just because. <laughs> but uh, it's one That's of those a weird things. way to start. I know they're more fun like that. Let's get really they deep. Are. Let's get yeah. It's more fun like that where you just kind of get into like the middle part of a conversation after the music fades out. But no, it's like one of those things where it's like this path to redemption. Like I feel like it's been this weird philosophical question that we haven't really talked about very much. Where it's like, what is that path? Like I feel like one of the most obvious ones to me that I feel like is like something that you could tackle Mm -hmm. or at least have a discussion over where it's like it's a little bit of a hot button issue like Louis CK yeah that was very weird um very wrong like you just don't do that for to people who don't want to see those sort of things but like does that sort of does he have a path to redemption and what does that look like right for some reason I don't I, I I feel like and, and again, this is coming from a male who is talking about other men who have done bad things. So I can see where like the perspective is a little weird, but I'm just curious. It's like, is there, are we going to ever try and search for a path or is it just yeah. like, fuck them? Well, I think it's like, I think there's two things there. First, well, in the Me Too movement, it's like this weird shift towards feminine power, feminine energy mm-hmm. in the universe. I think mm-hmm. it's not just happening in the U.S. with the Me Too movement. It's kind of everywhere. Right. And you see women kind of coming into their own, and it's that's challenging power. Mm-hmm. That's a challenging energy, and I think people are so uncomfortable with it that men, when you know their grievances are shown to them, or the, the things they've done to aggrieved others have been shown to them, right. they don't also know how to be accountable to it. So right. people like Louis C.K., didn't really own up and the things no. that happened to him as quote unquote punishment weren't his doing it was other people telling him that this is how it had to be like his right. show with um what's her name pam alden from adlin adlin yes. from yeah. yeah better things like yeah. he was a co-creator on that show right and she was the one to make the decision like it doesn't bode well for me anymore that you're part of the show right it wasn't really ever him making the decision to step back and let you know the consequences of his actions wash over him. They it, were kind of forced upon him like a big wave. It was almost kind of like, yeah, it's he never took response. Yeah, he never yeah. took clear responsibility or owned up to anything that he right. did. So I got to believe that's the first step. Yeah, is owning up to that. And now I'm, there's eleven more steps he has to go through. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because we t- I, and and I know this is like severely off topic. But it's kind of almost like tangentially kind of connected to what we're talking about. Yeah. But like one of our favorite artists, Jesse Lacey, so the the lead singer of this band, brand new, he mm. got called out for some really horrible stuff that he did when he was younger yeah. in a band coming up in the emo scene, which was just wrought with like horrible misogyny and yeah. you know sexual assault, what have you, and. He got called out, and and this is on the, his band's like last album they were putting out, the last tour they were doing. Yeah. And he 
didn't deny anything but put out the statement it was like yeah i was a horrible person when i was younger i did a lot of terrible things uh you know the issues that i have between my wife and i am still working on like getting through those things and then he just disappeared mm-hmm. like the band canceled the rest of their tour yeah. and they just disappeared into nothingness yeah. and it's like for and it's been weird because i feel like he's just been quietly existing and I don't know if he's like in Tennessee or something like that. And now he's just like a record producer. And it's just like, is that it? Is that person with a regular job? Just a guy now. Yeah. So it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. Well, I guess I don't know what that connected back to beer. That's kind of, mm. I was thinking the same thing. Like yeah. the tired hands. Gene is back at the helm at tired hands and people are upset about it. People are very upset about that. Is, is, I don't know if he you know, did much in terms of the way of like, Owning up to things, though, well, the way well, it and seemed. that's why people are upset. But yeah, or, or maybe maybe he did internally with the staff there, and because the, the staff was pissed for the yeah. longest time, like but, they put out a post. I feel like that was yeah, they, that was where the staff was like, "Hey, we kicked them out." But yeah, now he's now back he's back, and he's and his, him and his dad are brewing together, and they're doing all these cool photos. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyways, I guess you know, we could start this. How do you feel about that, Deanna? <laughs> I mean, we can keep going on the topic because I think we, that you're right. That bringing yeah. it back to beer, everything that we've just been talking about has such like, you know, rife potential for conversation in the beer industry. Oh no, it totally yeah. does. So what I want to do is yeah. at least to at least introduce you because sure. we should at least probably say. Uh, so this is another episode of Liquid People. Uh, that we are doing so as loud. put on by the like, Unified Beer Works. I know, well, it's because you came it. up with it and we named I, I it didn't, that. I didn't name it. I it was said, by accident. I, I said like the it. phrase liquid people in the first place. But my name is Andrew, being joined again by, by Josh as oh. well, uh, the, the sometimes co-host. Sometimes You're in and out sometimes, you know? Yeah, well, I, I like to be uh, keep people on their toes. Right, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm fleeting. We're I'm, being a mo- I'm, a moment, yeah. I'm a moment in the wind. We're being joined by Deanna Fox. Now, I've known Deanna for quite some time. Okay. Oddly, but we've never met in person, which right. is what we just discussed. Wait, today? like today. This is the first time we've ever met in person. We've always talked to each other like through, what, Twitter, everything. Facebook, Every everything platform. else. Yeah, we may have been, each other's work. Yeah. May have been at the same place at the same time, just yeah. never like actually gotten. But Deanna is a, a well, freelance writer. And then also, I didn't know this, so now you're, you're, you're doing a little bit of PR, too. Yeah, I'm um, an associate partner at a public affairs firm, and okay. it's been pretty exciting. So it's a it's a big. We're in the middle of a rebrand, um, kind of restructuring the company. Right. Um, but you know, just the state of journalism, especially beer journalism, yeah, um, has really taken a turn. And you know, it was just time for after 15 years. It was like, how can I apply these skills in new ways? So I got right. offered, you know, this position, and I took it. So, so, but uh, still writing, right? Still writing, exactly. Which is it's something you're fantastic at. I Thank mean, I, I know I've been kind of re, I've been going back and wa- reading oh, some wow. of your other <laughs> stuff too. Well, I mean, it was one of those things where I'm like, because I was trying to look, guys. I know you write about a lot about food and just sort of about yeah. the um, restaurant scene, even just sort of around yeah. the capital district events that are going on and stuff yeah. like that. But I knew that you wrote about beer, and I was trying to go through. I'm like, I know she's done it, and I was going through some of your stories about that just to kind of see what you've covered. Yeah. And um, so obviously. We were just kind of going off on a different topic before we actually, I guess, yeah, formally yeah. started this podcast. Uh, that you did write a story, though, about Erica, our owner, and the Pink Boots Society yeah. that she started with Pam and Meg, uh, you know, Pam from uh, Bound by Fate and uh, Meg over at Indian Ladder Farms. And so, yeah, like you said, like everything, the Me Too movement just had kind of you know, now the beer industry got sort of caught up with that. So yeah. I know you, you 
caught up in that. I shouldn't say that, but it got it, it yeah. had its own reckoning right. sort of within sure within the beer industry. So I guess in the, what I did want to ask you, and one of the things that I was kind of curious about was when you did see that happen with the post from Brienne um, over at I forget the name Notch. of the Notch Brewing. I always wanted to say Four Top Notch. Notch, but then I was like, I always wanted to say Top Notch. I think of Manchester Orchestra, but that's a whole <laughs> that's a me you thing. Top Notch is also a, the place I worked in Stowe. Well, there we go. Oh, so hey. there's a lot of so, but yes, Brienne, formerly of Notch. I forget where she is. What she started up now? Uh, uh, another it's brewery. So, Lager, Lobster House, I think. Okay, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so obviously that was something that popped. So, what did you think, Deanna? Kind of when yeah. you saw that happen, sort of all that spread out over social media, mm-hmm. and then it kind of hit even closer to home here in the capital region where. You know, women yeah. within the beer industry were talking about it. Right. So, kind of backtracking real quick. For sure. Um, I have a terrible palate. I am the worst <laughs> at tasting any flavor. Like, don't ask me what. And yet, you write about food. Which is why I don't write about like the actual like. You know, I'm not an arbiter of what's good and what's not because my palate is so dead. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell. Like, you know, these people probably like you both knowing you know taking one step knowing what malts are used you know what hops are used Ooh, i can't do that um and i can't do it with food either so food for me and beer and you know agriculture has always been a lens for other things it's a lens mm-hmm. to which by which you can tell other stories so it makes sense that you could use the beer industry as a lens to tell this like social justice story um so it kind of was only a matter of time like people kind of i think Albany's in such a unique geographical position that okay. it's kind of like this hub of so many other big, especially for beer, right? Like uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, you know, even kind of being well, New York City, going down into like Appalachian, and all the great breweries there, like they all kind of filter in to Albany. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many people from other breweries and other points in the world who have come here and have established themselves in the beer industry that it was kind of like, even if it wasn't happening here directly, there was going to be somebody here that was touched by, you know, misogyny or racism right. or something in the beer industry. So it was kind of like only a matter of time when Erica and Pam and Megan started Pink Boots. It was like I was kind of surprised that it took us that long to get our own chapter of Pink Boots. Right. Because like Schmaltz, you know, sh- you used to work at Schmaltz. Schmaltz did a Pink Boots brew day pretty much every year. They every did. Year when they could. Yep. Yeah. No, I was a part. Yeah, she brew. Yeah. Was was what the beer was that would benefit the Pink Society. I was actually going to say that I remember when when I was here the day that was all happening and yeah. we're like pulling up our phones like, wait, Looking. oh, this person now. Oh, whoa. We were Tired wait- hands, what? We were waiting for the shoe to drop. And, and yeah. we were actually all kind of like happy that we didn't hear anybody in our, like any of our friends, you know, mm-hmm. like, because there's so many people. And so many other breweries had to make the decision of like, okay, well, this person isn't invited to our festival next week and stuff. Right. And luckily, we didn't have like a a friend. Right. That you know of. That we know of. That was called out. Because that's the thing, right? That I know of that was called out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you, you, right. Me too. I was scrolling through. It's like, oh man, because this is going to be a story, right? Right. So who in this market is going to get hit with this? Who's going to get called out? And, you know, there were some kind of that had local connections that were called out. Um, but it really it really took somebody like Erica, like Pam, mm-hmm. like Megan, and all the other women who were involved in Pink Boots to be like, we can sit here and talk about it, or we can just kind of, you know, 
uh, engender ourselves and, and really go for this right. and make it happen. And I think that's kind of what was needed, especially, you know, from the writing standpoint, writing about it too. There are, you know, male-run breweries, male-owned breweries um, that are allies to women in brewing. But for the men to be the ones to say, we're going to make this beer or we're just going to take that token woman that's right. on our staff and put them at the forefront of this kind of doesn't do th- that storyline any justice. It um, It's almost the equivalent of like, yeah, no, I have friends yeah. that are black. Exactly. I'm not racist. We have a woman on staff. We're not <laughs> misogynist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, we let her do things. Yeah, she you know, puts labels on things. Uh, yeah, but there's, you know, but this is kind of the history of women in brewing too. Women were the brewers in society. Right. And then when beer changed from being like a community-led effort to being a commercialized, marketed product, women were pushed out of it. And that's continued. And I hope that, you know, for all the terrible things that led to Me Too, I hope that it's kind of, um, you know, the harbinger for better times to come for women in an industry that was traditionally theirs anyway. So we'll see what happens. I mean, like, yeah, I guess it's sort of a see what happens, but I guess I'm sort of curious, like, I don't know, this is the cynic in me, and this sure. is probably from being a reporter, right? Uh, you is, have to ask all the questions. Right? Yeah. Well, it's not even ask all the questions. It's also, too, at the same time where it's like, all right, well, you know, you did actually see some action being taken, say, like you said, with Erica, Pam, and Megan. But at the same time, like, nationally, maybe on a, on a broader scale, like, are we going to see, like, I know there's been some things that have changed, yeah. But have we just entered into the phase of it where now it's just, like, a cool T-shirt? Well, there's no, like, process or resource available to actually... Like, it was a thing, you know. We had a Pink Boots beer. There's beer out there for Women's History Month or for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And individual breweries, breweries do it, but on, like, a systematic, systemic basis, there's nothing there, I would say, to really give women the opportunity there's like you know funding for women-owned businesses and there's a couple grand here and there that you can get from private grants but there's really nothing on a large scale and women have always had a harder time finding funding for any kind of business anyway right there's always been you know that's why i think there's so few breweries in new york state but around the country that are truly women owned women-led breweries because it's just not designed for women and until there's some like seismic shift in how the brewing industry is designed it's never going to be well i thought yeah and i thought that was a like the statistic that you had in your story like rereading that yeah. only two percent of the eight thousand breweries in the u.s are owned or you said in whole or in part yeah. by women and yeah. it's like holy shit like yeah you know we know two like the people <laughs> that are part of that two percent like yeah. we work at it it's like oh shit like i can't believe that that's that's I can, that is a striking like that that really catches you off guard sort of in a way but it's also like i, I think i can name maybe five in new york state right that's it so i mean unified right um bound by fate bound by fate yeah um i guess i think jenny Kemp. i was gonna say rare form. At rare form yeah um back barn is uh-huh. I think the only wim- female finance, female owned brewery in the state. Young Lion in the Finger Lakes. Okay, I didn't know that was female. Jennifer, I think that that's female owned. Yeah. Um, majority female owned, and I like that's all I can think of. Tin Barn. Where's that? Uh, that's. Uh, is that a Finger Lakes one? No, that's uh, like off like exit 15 on the freeway. I think. Oh. Really? Okay, fair enough. That, down that area. I think Wayward Lane might 
one of their owners is one, yeah, yeah, female. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's hard to come by. Talia in the city. In. Right. So, so I find that interesting females. then because we are talking about, like, I mean, of all the breweries. And yeah. we, we are in the, a lot of them you just named and maybe it's just because what we're familiar with are in the capital region. I mean, like. Yeah. What do you? Th- you've been in. The, you've been writing within the capital yeah. region for covering a lot of different things, sort of within you know the beverage and food industry. Yeah. I mean, how do you uh, just seeing how everything kind of broke yeah. out nationally too, yeah. globally or what have you? I well, mean, I, I what think, do you? How, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I think in. I think it's interesting that New York, like we probably wouldn't find that in Oklahoma, or, you know, maybe Texas. We're in a state that kind of. Um, puts value on women's rights mm-hmm. and you truly feel that way too i think new york is a safer state for women than most states fair enough <laughs> no i it's one of those things where like it's like people say that and i'm like are we just saying that because we're in new york because we want to do our own yeah, I, I, I lived a couple years in florida i, I, I would imagine that me. yeah yeah we maybe we, we're myopic because we're in new york yeah we only see it as a good thing um i mean there's a lot of from a business perspective, New York might be one of the worst states to actually open a business, but <laughs> from a women in business standpoint, it mm-hmm. might be one of the better ones because we do actually have um, protections and processes in place for women that allow them the ability to go out and pursue their passions. I feel better than a lot of states would. And for some women, that passion happens to be beer. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. So. I, so, I mean, kind of talking about like male dominated industries, yeah. and I was having this thought too, because I was like, because I think I've seen you post about it, too, as a freelance writer. Yeah. Um, the problems you face even trying to pitch stories to, yeah. like, male editors or what have you. Right. So, for you, too, navigating... Well, as I was saying, I was like... One of the questions I want to ask you is, like, what is it from your experience kind of being a, a woman navigating a, a another male-dominated field? And then I was like, what the fuck isn't a male-dominated <laughs> field at this stage? And, like... It, <laughs> Yeah, a male, which oh one? yeah, a male dominated field. Right? I mean, it, like we say that and we're like, oh, well, this is a male dominated field. I'm like, but what one isn't at but, this at this point? Right. Like you could say that um, the public school system is female dominated by numbers. Like there are more teachers probably that are women than there are men. But, but you look at the administration. The administration <laughs> right. And it's men, which is the problem, I think, in most industries. But it's so I I feel for the food and beverage industry and the publications surrounding them, they, there's a lot more women working in that than there would be, say, you know, on the city desk or the metro desk at most publications, um, most newspapers, right. working in the production room, you know, doing story assignments. Those tend to be male-led. But in food and beverage, you know, there are a lot of women making the decisions mm-hmm. on those publications, which is interesting. So, but... They're also super saturated. Like for somebody like me to go and pitch the same, you know, seven, eight publications over and over again for a beer story that probably a lot of other beer writers or beverage writers are going to p- want to publish. Um, it's hard to be the first one to the punch or have the best connection and be the person that essentially gets to chosen to write the story. Right. So then you go to other publications because the great thing about food, beer, any of that stuff is it touches everybody's life. You can always tell a story and hook them in through that angle because everybody eats, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And you know. I hope. Yeah, most people drink. Uh, right. So, <laughs> um, so then going and trying to make like a really deft, um, cohesive, interesting pitch to somebody who's not a food and beverage editor or mm-hmm. journalist, right? Um, 
is a difficult process. And sometimes, just because of the news cycle, there isn't a lot of time to really sit and suss out how can I take this pitch and make it be a story that I want in my publication? Usually, if you don't nail it on the first try, they're just not even going to respond. And that's incredibly difficult. And, you know, your paycheck is contingent on how much you produce. And well, especially difficult. freelance. Yeah, yeah. For freelance for sure. So um, as far as the female aspect in it, I also feel like um, – where it is now versus where I started 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I feel the gendered aspect of it isn't as prominent. But starting off trying to do this, especially writing about alcohol and beer, women mm -hmm. weren't doing it unless they were writing about maybe wine. But they, there weren't <laughs> female spirits writers and there weren't beer writers. Right. And now there's like all of these other things too. There's, you know, th the entire market for beverage there's non-alcoholic beer, there's seltzer, there's cider, there's all of these things. And, you know, so you have more niches that you can focus on. Like, you could just be a cider writer. A right. cider writer. I like it. There, there you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you do for work? I'm a cider a writer. A cider writer. Cider writer? <laughs> what does that mean? Could mean all sorts of things. Um, so I feel like that's interesting. But I feel like the, oh, you're a, you're a, a woman writing about beer? That's weird. You, how could you possibly know anything about beer? Beer is a male-dominated industry. Um, I feel like that's faded a little bit, which yeah. is nice. Like, it gives me hope for the next bunch of, you know, idiots to decide to want to pursue this field. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird, though, just to think about it, yeah. though, where it's just like, yeah. women drink beer? What? Right. That's, that's, a foreign, that's a foreign thing to think yeah, about. Yeah, and I feel like 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, yeah. it was a weird thing I mean, for internally, women to be. We have, so for our last anniversary party, we did have it his way and have it her way. Mm -hmm. And... His way is an IP, a fruited IPA mm -hmm. that Jeff makes, and her way is a fruited sour IPA for Erica. Yeah, and at least they like both do it, but we also have like the internal t dialogue with each other on like, is are we implying that her way is the sour fruity thing and his yeah. way is the hop? Like, yeah, like hey ladies, come get your sour. Like, is right. That, like, are are, are we? Are, are we, we contributing? Are we contributing to, like, like we're doing it because yeah. that's to the dynamic. what they both wa like to drink. Right. Yeah. But, like, are we are we pushing the... Uh, but I also noticed, like, last yesterday, I was at Wayward with friends yesterday. Meets. Were you at oh, Wayward oh, yesterday? No, it was Saturday. That was, oh, oh, that that was going to be so exciting. Yeah. It could we have been. We were at the same time. We didn't even know each other. And then it means what? <laughs> <laughs> you were at that concert in 2006, too? Me, too, man. Amazing. <laughs> Shared experiences. Remember when we both lived in that giant state in that one year? That yeah. Day? <laughs> um, I, I, like when I went to college, like people were like, oh, you you go to New Paltz? Do you know? No, no. I don't know that person. There's like 20,000 people there. There was it's, someone it's a, that was. It's a city. There was yeah. someone literally sitting at the bar on Friday that was, hey, did you go to Plattsburgh? Yeah, I did go to Plattsburgh State. Do you remember me? No, no. I don't. <laughs> I don't at all. Um, I Drugs and alcohol play a huge factor in this. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was bartending in Florida, and I had this interaction. Oh, woman 30 years my senior says to me, where are you from? I said, Up upstate New York. And she, like, knows me. Where did you go to school? Yeah. Uh, state school up there? Yeah, no, but which, which one, though? Uh, SUNY New Paltz? What did you study? <laughs> and I'm like, like she, like I must know her daughter or something. I right. right. met her somewhere. Like, uh, oh, I, I studied PR. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, 
my daughter. And I'm ready. Like, oh, she went that same yeah. time. Yeah. You know? She goes, my daughter goes to Rutgers in New Jersey. <laughs> oh. And she's taking pre-med. So nothing to Nothing's do with me. None of these, none of these things no. connect. No. no. I was really, really ready for how do we know each other? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. You thought no, it was gonna be something. Just a coincidence that you have a daughter in college currently. Yeah. <laughs> and I went to a college. Right. Hey man, people've done that before, right? Yeah. But sorry. So Deanna, you though, we were talking so about sours, and you were at Wayward. Right. So we were at Wayward last night. So it was um, five of us, three females, two males, and but the women ordered you know the the guava sour and it's like because it's guava it's pink it's just pink by nature but right. it's also like a more i don't want to say more interesting beer but it's more um you're really pushing your beer norms by drinking a fruited sour than by just ordering the pilsner and like hand to god love pilsner it's fantastic love them yeah there's very few beer styles i don't like but mm. you know that's kind of like the least challenging to your palate to drink a Pilsner versus right. drinking a fruited sour. But the women were adventurous and they tried that. And it's just funny because I noticed that too. Like there's, you know, you know, hop heads and sour bros and all these. You sour know. bros. All right. No, sorry. I hadn't oh, heard that I one yet. Yeah. I, I've never heard the term, but I know what you're talking I about. I like yeah. it. You know, or they want like those big, huge, intense flavors. I would like an odd walla with. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> just Can I just get a fruited slushy, slushy right please? <laughs> yeah. Uh. But it's it's like, you know, even those like gendered like you were what you're talking about, Josh, with the his way, her way, those gendered barriers between beer don't even make sense anymore. Because the things that we like traditionally like would, you know, ascribe to like a male drinking habit don't even make sense anymore. It's like the lines have become so blurred. Well, I, I think even a year ago the average I feel like there would probably be some criticism bestowed upon a man who like is drinking a high noon or a white claw or something right like, oh oh you're oh you're too weak to drink a real beer you want a seltzer and no you like, you can fuck no, off with that criticism well, no no I, i'm not me i'm saying i know like, not the, you the, but the, i'm saying to this this mysterious person that the, you're referring the to the invisible army I, I, yeah. yeah it felt it felt like that and now it's like not drink your alcohol son yeah. <laughs> drink your alcohol yeah yeah no those days when you just belly up to the bar and you're like what's the highest i still get it but like what's the highest alcohol percentage yeah. beer do you have and i'm just like we have others like there, right. there are others that may taste different but no give but me I, a high noon all day any day i feel like that's a story that i've told like a bunch of times over like the yeah. shift in marketing and market share between genders who's buying what you know are women just drinking seltzer and men are drinking whiskey? Well, no. Women are like the fastest growing whiskey consumer in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody everybody drinks hard seltzer now. You know, Mike's Everyone. Hard Lemonade is like a thing that comes back. And it's not just, you know, frat boys and lightweights drinking it. Everybody drinks it. Um, and so it's interesting, too, from like the journalistic perspective, watching the work of really keen marketing people mm. like we're gonna take ranch water and put cowboys on it and make it like a thing for men right and that's and that's so you're right that's right. very much canned cocktails yeah I, I think the the marketing even like the sour conversation is, yeah it, it's marketed as it, it was for so long marketed as the female pretty pink beer mm -hmm. versus the you know and i'm glad we're getting away from that but yeah in the the main sphere it's still like like now, now it's it's cool because it's it's they they broed up seltzers. Right. To make, now it's cool to drink a high noon. 
Right. Versus, you know, before it was like, don't like the taste of booze? Here, have a seltzer. And now right. it's like, bro, you want to you wanna get twisted? So writing about beer and yeah. writing about and writing about food in general, I mean, were you original? Were you so? Were you in sort of the service industry for a minute? Like, have you worked within it? That's that's one thing I actually don't know about you after yeah. following you on social media and reading all your stuff. Yeah, so I did. Um, I have such a weird, interesting, circuitous path to being where I am now. Okay. Um, like I grew up on a family farm. My mom's oldest sister bought the farmhouse directly across the street from the family farm, and ran it. They lived in the upstairs, and she ran the first floor as, like, a diner, essentially, like a little bakery diner situation, and it was the only game in town, so she did really well. But my mom is one of 17 kids. <gasps> wow. Fuck. Not even Catholic, right? <laughs> Fuck Ouch. that. My grandparents that. just really loved each other, I think. Um, <laughs> they also didn't love birth control, it seemed. It seems that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, or was it exist? Did it exist? <laughs> it, yeah, my parents aren't that old. You know, we're the girls were around for a long time. Um, but anyway, the rule was, like, you couldn't just, like, hang out in the diner. If you were there, you were working. So I remember being, like, four or five years old, not even able to see over the counter and, like, scooping cookies off of a tray and putting them on old newspaper to cool. So it's always been, like, part of my, you know, I had waitressing jobs in high school and then in college. Um, when I went to college, I studied history and political science and minored in statistics and jazz studies. So there's got to be like a job what? out there wow. for me somewhere, right? Science. Yeah. Quick question. Yeah. Jazz studies. Didn't <laughs> seem like, it's like one thing is not like the other. How no, did that it's not. Be? Well, okay. I played guitar and sax saxophone and I went to a liberal arts school. So you had to take like a music class and it was just like, well, this is easy. I could just hit a bunch of credits that way and got to a point where I had enough credits where it was declared a minor. That, was, like, that was what I noticed yeah. in college. like. Just because you see that somebody has a minor in something, like doesn't mean really, shit. Like, like <laughs> you, no, they took the syllabus and said, "Well, yeah. if I just take one more, I could have a minor in that." Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Minor in political science. How you doing? Hey, yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. yeah. I, or linguistics. you wind up one, yeah. one poor shy of a minor in physics. Yeah. Wow, yeah, which probably serves you really well in beer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, for sure. No, it absolutely does. But I just like you're like, yeah. I, I have a minor in linguistics, and on Saturday, I accidentally did the wrong there. Oh. Oh, Michelle's texting me. I was, driving to oh. Way, I was driving to Wayward, and she texted me that, and I hated – no, I was driving to Indian Ladder, and I hated myself so much I couldn't even I, – I could barely even drive straight. I was, like, so in my head about it. Was it because you were texting, then, or was it because no, – no. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was texting and driving. <laughs> texting and driving. And I'm just so upset about it. I, I, like, replied to her, like, I, I, I hate I'm so, myself. I'm so sorry. I, I look so much loathing right now. Yeah. And then I got out of the car, and I saw a kid on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, And, as and I, I texted her. I texted her. I just saw a kid on a leash, so I don't feel so bad about it. As myself. a person who has children, I am guilty of that crime. So, <laughs> you know, I, I understand the purpose like, of it. I'm not on a leash. Uh, I don't know, Josh. What else time leash. you had me on a leash? I, oh, that was, have you That's seen a that? different kind of podcast. Have you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That was a nod seconder that, like, I just kind of threw out there, and I was like, where's Deanna going to go with this? <laughs> that, that was good. Different kind of podcast. Well, my website is Fox on Food, but when I do WAMC, Ray Graf always calls it Food on Fox. I'm like, nope, that's the only fan site. That's yeah. <laughs> 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 
Oh God, that's, that's really two podcasts in a row with only that is, that is yeah. that is this is the second <laughs> podcast that we've done. The last podcast we did was with JVS, and you'll see oh, his yeah. OnlyFans soon, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> no, but I'm sorry. So you were saying though, like oh, right, right, working right. in so, the service industry. Yeah, right. I worked in the service industry initially. Like my first quote unquote real job, like non food service job, was working in politics, and then what? Yeah, I worked in lobbying and campaign finance. That sounds awful. It was, I mean, I liked it. But also, you know, you take three showers a day and still feel dirty. Mm -hmm. So, um, was at a point in my life where I was, like, getting married, having babies, and decided that that maybe wasn't really the lifestyle I wanted. Had always So you chose journalism, freelance journalism. Right. (laughs) Because that's way better. Um, Longer hours and less pay. Yeah, exactly. No, less appreciation. It's great. Yeah. Well, you guys work in beer, so you know. But, um... Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it is rough. Really rough. Lots of zeros got taken off of our side. Yeah, for sure. It is not. Yeah. It it's is. funny because I went from journalism to this, so it's actually a step up. up. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you make more money than yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> right, absolutely. Hey, every, well, I, absolutely. What, I hear what his tips are every week. Yeah. I, they make uh, yeah. I used to think, like, oh, I'd be awesome. I want to, like, learn enough about beer i can open my own brewery and then i started working at a brewery oh, yeah. and i'm like i want to work for a brewery though right. not actually yeah. have, they have a lot of decisions <laughs> to make <laughs> no yeah. no i'll i'll help them with their brewery yeah. but i don't think i want all that no. <laughs> anyways i'm gonna shut off my phone now yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's you're right on the line all the time. Yeah. So Three bad decisions in a row, and we could be done. But sorry. So anyways. That's okay. No. Yeah. So then, like as a, so I'd always had a blog, right? Back yeah. in the Live Journal MySpace days. And oh my God! You just my called out Live Journal. No, Live Journal. <laughs> you don't know. Live Journal oh. is like an emo kid haven. Wait, hold on. Did you listen to emo music? I did. Something yeah! corporate was like yeah! <laughs> my jam. Andrew is so happy right Stop now. Rock. Sob rock, <laughs> which is what you listened into your sob. No, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, I played in a band <laughs> called Elemento, <laughs> like the el- like the what? alphabet, and yeah. it was like all. What was know. your AOL screen name? I don't even remember. I can't even remember. That's what's, a good question. What's the last away message you posted? Though? I don't even <laughs> and what band's ever, lyrics did you have in it? I wanted to talk to anybody. You know, probably it was something really lame. That was probably like a Dave Matthews quote. It probably <sighs> wasn't even like real emo. Did you go to Shen? No. <laughs> <laughs> Because like at some point, didn't a, we all? an emo fan prerequisite, isn't it? To no, to no to not to go to Shen. No, completely fucking damaged. No, because she said, "Well, all right." Well, she said, she said something about a Dave Math. She said about a Dave Matthews quote, and my fucking graduating class are like, "What is it? Uh, fucking celebrate or celebrate we oh, will because yeah. life is short." I was like, "Can we not? Can yeah. we not do that?" Yeah. But you know, well, I had a curve on in my in my senior yearbook. Under my photo, it was a Kurt Vonnegut quote, and it was real dark. So you know, that's this, that it, okay. maybe that's the prerequisite. So maybe this is kid. this is why we connected. So it never be, met in person, yeah. but like, yeah, I, I did, we didn't know exactly. Yeah. But I always had a blog <clears throat> and wrote about it, you know, through college and and Good time. you know, buying my farm and all of that stuff. And um, an editor reached out and was like, "We don't have a food writer, and we really need somebody. Could you do it?" And I'm like, mm, "I don't know if this is really the gig for me." And then it turned out to be the perfect opportunity to take so many things that I love and put them in one spot right and then that led to opening a cooking school and running that and 
Yeah. That's how we met. That's how we met. And making, teaching people how to make pasta. And, you know, food is dumplings. great. It was dumplings, but the ravioli. Oh. Oh, right. I didn't know you. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you two knew each other. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Gosh, that was a long time ago. 2015, maybe? Yeah, that feels like a lifetime ago. It does. Yeah, it, it really does. But it's been cool because I've been able to like acquire all these skills and I think, you know, a lot of times I think that I failed at a lot of things, but I think I've just been able to decide what's right for me and what's not and to walk away from the things that don't serve me anymore and be in a spot now that I enjoy much more. And um, I think working in food service gives you, I think everybody should work in food service. I've got like two teenagers right now and I'm like, you guys have to get jobs like serving ice cream or doing something because it is the best way to learn about society humanity people understand what makes people work understand that it takes all kinds i always said the same thing but yeah. I, I also think that you have to uh but don't do it for too long right because it jades you right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like you're gonna Everybody you're gonna yeah you need you need it but like do it for like three four years mm-hmm. do it do it as long as i did and like right. yeah but then you're just gonna like be a misanthrope Right, <laughs> right. Which I feel like you know we all border. You're gonna go on, through right? a period of like, ah, everybody's terrible. You know, it's <laughs> not, well, they're not yeah. terrible. So, so it's great. So I can then yeah. I can just blame it. I don't have to blame it on my personal disposition, like the way I am. I can yeah. blame that my misery on food service. I am not the architect of my own misery. It's working too many shifts as a waitress. But here's the thing, though, is that now that we're kind of talking about sort of like that, where you get to learn about society yeah. and learn how awful people are yeah. just through the service industry. Correct me if I'm wrong. Same with journalism. Yes. I never worked really too much in food in yeah. the food industry, but like there is one thing where it's like you can learn just about how I, I mean, what do you yeah. think? You can learn about how like obviously in the food industry, like how people will treat other people who are serving them in that right. manner, right? Right. But then in journalism, you just learn how normal people are even just talking to you how terrible they are. Right. Right. Without offering them any like exchange. It's not transactional. Yeah. It's not transactional. Right. They're just showing you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you meet people like I've been lucky in the field that I've worked in writing primarily about food and agriculture and, and beverage that most of the people that I talk to are really genuinely good people. And they really it's amazing the trust that people have put into me in opening up and telling their story. That's like been the most profound thing I've taken out of 15 years of journalism, like the way that people are willing to put trust in a journalist. And, you know, it's tough. I don't have to tell you, the only obligation you really have as a journalist is to your reader. It's not really yeah. even to the publication you write for or to the subject you're covering. It's sure. like telling the best, most truthful story without any of your own bias to your reader, to your audience. And um, you go into that assuming that the person that you're interviewing also recognizes that and they're so open and forthcoming with you. It's like, like, do you even tell your therapist that stuff? Like, that's pretty, you're being very open with me right now. Do you, and that's the thing. It's like talking to, yeah. I, like, I remember going into therapy after yes. I, <laughs> when I was a reporter yeah. or like while I was still a reporter and the amount of trauma that you get passed Absorb. on, yeah. like from not only just being at events, but people telling yeah. you like someone dying, their, yeah. their child dying in a fire. Yes. And then you got to go interview that family for yeah. them to then tell you about their traumatic experience. Yeah. Like that is, it's heavy. Like right. that's 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 the sort of stuff that can really fuck you up for the rest of your life. So hey guys, how you doing? For sure. Uh, hey, <laughs> Did you go to shed? And I, and I thought was no, no. But it's also a weird experience. Like you know, my kind of avenue 
Yeah. I was. That's what people know me as, as a, as a food and beverage journalist. Right. An agriculture journalist. But I have covered those stories, too, because I've been able to buy whatever... I don't even know why, but for some reason I get a really good story out of the people that I interview most of the time. There's always very closed off people that you just can't break through. Um, but I've gone into some really, really traumatic moments with people mm-hmm. in that in that vein of journalism and elsewhere. You suppress it, too, because you're like, I didn't experience this. Right, but then you carry it around with you, and uh-huh. those people never leave you. No. Ever. No. And I think about them all the time. And it's right. like, but it would be inappropriate maybe for me to reach out and just be like, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, there is, there is. I a have si- been thinking about you for 10 years. Yeah. I mean, there was. <laughs> Pretty much. I covered. <laughs> I, and this is, this is obviously yeah. a, a ridiculous tangent. But, like, yeah, I covered a, a shooting that happened in yeah. Schenectady. And I remember. So, it, it, like, the biggest thing was the PIO that I worked yeah. with on it running out of the house saying medic, 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 carrying a literal infant. Yeah. And and I learned later what happened to the mm-hmm. infant. The infant didn't get shot, just had a gun pointed at its head, and thankfully it went click and no, nothing came out. Right. But I remember reading about the story when I was in PR a year later about all of the details and yeah. then what also happened to the guy and broke down crying. Yeah. Because you're just like, oh, my God, so this is what – this is the moment that I arrived in after. Right. And this is all of what happened. Like, like right. it's just yeah it's it's a weird sort of thing but and it um, really is journalism they say is the first draft of history and it really is like you're is. the first chance to tell that story did you ever kind of feel though like as much as it's sort of like in service to your readers right everything you're supposed to do for your readers yeah. did you ever feel an obligation to your source at all like all, just just like always, right, yeah. naturally right yeah. yeah especially like in moments you know a lot of times if you're writing like a profile piece on a brewery or a new restaurant mm-hmm. or something you, you're really oh thank you you're really telling their story exactly and you want to do it justice you want to feel like you know these people are putting a lot of trust in you to open up and tell you what they're telling you and then you're the filter mm-hmm. and it's like well they were i don't know how my reader is going to perceive that really right fraught tidbit that they might have given me mm-hmm. is, is it worth including is it you know and that's why there's not just you know it would be really good in the story Right. But it's also like that's, I think, where the dividing line between being a blogger and a journalist is. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes there are people who overlap. Yeah. But a journalist has, like, a process that they have to go through. And it's like fact-checking, and you're bouncing ideas off an editor. And, you know, you have other people reading the piece before you just hit publish. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of go through those filters to, you know. You almost feel like you have to be in service to your fucking editor, too. Ugh. Right? I mean, I've, <laughs> I've been very lucky. I've had really great editors. I've also had a lot of real shitheads for editors. Yeah. So I'm like... Are you even paying attention? Like, what are you doing? Why did you take There was one time I asked an editor, I'm like, do you even know how to be a reporter? Right. (laughs) Yeah. I've had editors, right, put, I wrote, I think it was like 2015, I wrote this huge dossier on Stewart's. Mm. Like, why is Stewart's what it is? (laughs) Why is Stewart's? Yeah. Why is Stewart's? (laughs) And it was, it took a long time. That's such a complex, interesting company, and they are so tight-lipped about everything. I got nothing from. They Stewart's. have an image, man. Yeah, but they're also brilliant. Like, oh, yeah. vertically integrated everything. Mm-hmm. Like, why they have their own HVAC people? They what are the, what's the deal with the payphones? Like, <laughs> you know, right? Like, going through the whole thing, it was really interesting. I was actually at a Stewart's yesterday, like in the in the parking yeah. lot, like still holding on to the maroon. Right, right. That'll never go. It's like fucking McDonald's, man. Like all the shirts, like But even like bring it back to beer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mountain Brew. Thank you. Great job. Yeah, you brought it back. Yeah, Yeah. 
but like the pictograms around the edge and I'm do you remember those? Oh, oh no, no, I remember because I remember trying to get drunk on that once. Yeah, <laughs> like the epitome of a road soda, right? Is that yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I forgot what movie I was watching, and we were like, "What are we doing? This tastes kind of good." I was high. It's <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's, well, it, was, the it was Top thing. Gun. It was Friday. It was Top Gun. <laughs> it's just Jenny. It's uh, yeah, Jenny Light. That's yeah. what it is. Is it still around? Uh, no, I, I think they phased it out. Uh, when, you, when you're doing that, though, like writing like a piece about a brewery, and then uh, the one thing I was kind of curious what you're saying is being a blogger and a journalist. Right. You do that simultaneously sometimes. So, like, how are you able to... Yeah. I really, I'm very cautious. I was a blogger before I was a journalist. Right. And then had to learn that process of journalism and was looking at it from the other end. Like, I, would, I worked with journalists all the time from, like, the message control standpoint. Um... And it's funny, like, I'm back in that position now, but I had to really kind of learn that process of what it's like to have an editor and what an editor's role is. And that it doesn't just stop with the editor. You have your assigning editor, who's, like, your first pass, and there's a second reader, and then there's the copy desk. The copy desk, yeah. Which can really, you know, fuck things up for you. They can really be like, hey, man, this isn't fitting. Right. Like, I can't fit this in the actual page. Yes, yeah. And now you got to cut, yeah. cut shit. Right. We had, at the Times <laughs> Union... Yeah. Which, like, I'm sorry. If you told me I got to cut 200 words, I'm like, fuck you. Which I don't know 200? what to do. <laughs> yeah. We had an editor at the Times Union, for a copy editor for a long time, Rob Brill. I don't know if you ever worked with oh, him. Oh, I know Rob Brill. Yeah. yeah. And that was, like, a moment. Like, the first time you got Brilled was a moment. Oh. And I was writing a piece about a farm in uh, Schenectady County, I guess, that had charges of animal abuse animal neglect leveled on it but it's right. like this is just kind of how farming is like mm-hmm. people are exposed to it for the first time like yeah it gets cold in winter yeah water's gonna ice over farmers go out there multiple times a day you just happen to pass by when the water was frozen right kind of situation um you had a perspective that your editor doesn't have or sort of an understanding well, and on a farm yeah right yeah. but working with rob brill he line and edits. I don't have to tell you what that's like, but he line edits on the phone. So he calls you and he reads your piece uh-huh. back to you, which is like torture. Yeah. And, you know, goes like, and those 200 words, just taking out like a couple of adverbs and adjectives here yep. and there. Um, like already you're hating yourself. Right. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. Yeah, Why am I just, doing this? I'm a failure. My, my, yeah, I'm just going to hang up now. My incorrect there. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. isn't about you, Josh. <laughs> but he would, <laughs> if it was like quiet... If it was a busy night in the newsroom and it was quiet, he was known to, like, stand up on his desk and go, what's another word for the? And it would, like, break the tension yep. in the newsroom, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So he was a genius, but... And retired, and well-deserved retirement. No, he was... I, like I, a dog. I'd heard about, a lot about him, and he, he was great. I had he one editor, this, this poor soul, because he was, like, super nice. Yeah. He was, like, he was very easygoing. And I was doing a story about when the KKK was passing, like, leaflets oh, yeah. around uh, Saratoga. It's because you're talking to two reporters, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, Disturbed like, people. And, and but the problem was that, like, everyone had a story on it, but no one called the number that was left on the leaflet, and it was, like, right towards deadline, yeah. and I was just like, I'm going to call the number. Yeah. And my yeah. editor was just like, don't, 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 do, and then I did, and then it led to this whole other fucking story, and it was just like, I'm sorry, man, like, how yeah. many inches do I got? Like, right. <laughs> 11, and that's it. Yeah, talking to the Grand Imperial Wizard of whatever fucking chapter of the yeah. KKK, it's yeah. like, yeah, sure, this is how I'll spend a Sunday. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, like, so, in terms of, like, covering how the food in... What's up? How was that conversation? 
It was weird. You just yeah. let them talk. Right. Okay. Because, like, it's one of those things where, like, they try and talk to you about, like, their view about the race war and who's going to be on which side. And you're just like, but what about this? And then you're just trying to, like, poke holes in, like, their theory. And then you realize how fucking futile that is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm just going to let you be a racist douchebag. Right. And publish and, it. But, and then at the same time, you're like, but did I actually do, what did I do yeah. here kind of yeah. thing? It's like, did, who did I service? Like, yeah. so, but so in terms of like covering though, like, so, you know, obviously getting into like writing about food and having done it for, for a bit, uh, you don't mind, um, for, for quite some time, like, and, and I don't know how much your knowledge is of other areas, but in terms of the food and beverage industry in the capital district versus say, even the Hudson Valley. Because I don't even, I don't consider us the Hudson Valley, even though we have like the HVCC yeah. college, you know, kind of thing. But how do you think it kind of stacks up to everything else? Because I know we're in a bubble and I'm yeah. almost kind of feeling like, shit, we could stack up against a lot of people when it comes to beer or just, oh. you know, food and beverage. But what do you think about the capital district beer in terms of that? Beer for sure. I think there's so many good things working for the beer industry here. I think you have a really engaged audience, which is kind of cool. Like. There are people, mm. as much as it's important to have good, to make good beer, it's important to have an audience to sell that beer. Mm. And I feel like we do have those people here. Um, and we're also like, like I said earlier, kind of a pass through geographically. For sure. Like, you know, it, you could manage a stop to Unified mm -hmm. between, you know, Albany and Sarah, New York City and Lake George, whatever. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, that, and that happens. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of cool. I don't think a lot of places get that. So that's kind of interesting. But as far as... Um, the bubble mentality. First of all, it's something that I've tried to do in my writing, and I don't know how successful I've been, but I hope that I've moved the dial a little bit, is that people think we don't have any culture here. but We do have a really rich food and beverage culture. Mm -hmm. It's just that people, I find like people from the Capital District kind of stay here. Like they might go away for a couple of years, but they always come back. And I they don't wanted see... to get the fuck out, and then I'm still I right. live in Troy now because I'm like, but dude, Troy's cool. I mean, yeah. grow, growing up around here, I, I wanted to I wanted mm -hmm. to get out. I, and yeah. I like I I went so many places trying to get out. Yeah. And then I settled in Florida for a while. I'm like, I yeah. need to go back home because as much as like Naples, Florida sounds like a beautiful destination, yeah. and it is. It's nice yeah. down there, but like, there's no culture. Right. There's no like. There's, there's no culture. It's just really white. Yeah. Well, well, no, there's <laughs> not just that. No, I mean like that. Like go like out to go out to dinner. Oh, I'm sorry, it's old yeah, too. It's like, like, like go out to dinner. Like, where are you gonna thing. go out to dinner? Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of Italian restaurants. Right. Right. Versus like up like down there. Like I mean, it's changed in Florida a lot in the last couple of years. But yeah, I know the, everyone uh, from New York is there now. Yeah. But like the true. beer, the beer scene down there was not what was already happening here. Already happened. Like right. And. and it's funny uh, yeah, to think know. about like how behind the times some places are, where it's like they're just getting the '90s in Australia. Yeah, yeah it's and, like and it's not, really not disparaging yeah. like middle of nowhere Montana, but is there a place in middle of the nowhere Montana that has what we have right now? Could but I mean sometimes it's more appealing. A lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's where every fucking rich person from California wants to live. True. Oh yeah, easy move there. Yeah. Easy E? No, easy. Oh, Yeezy. Yay. Everybody. Yeah, Kanye. He's got his whole big, like, half a John million Mayer acres. I'm sorry, guys. It's yeah. not... Guys, 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 guys. It's not Kanye. It's, it's yay. 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 Yeah. Yay. Easy talk. Yeah. Yeah. Montana. Huh. But I think that there's culture everywhere. I think there's more, more millionaires in Montana per capita than anywhere else. For sure there is. Ted Turner, you know, billionaire, whatever. They all 
Brad Pitt has a place there. Like yeah. everybody who's got a shitload of money. But like that's the culture. There. Like so, the culture is rich people yeah, in Montana, right? Brad Pitt didn't open a restaurant there, though. Right, but that's like any more culture. The culture is what are these other people talking like, about? Right, it's like the term ethnic, right? Like everybody has ethnicity. Like we're all white sitting around this table right now talking, but you know, people I feel like five years ago would say like, oh, I feel like ethnic food tonight, which would mean I want Indian or Thai or something like that. <laughs> Do it's people like, still say that? There are they people who still oh, say that. God. And there's also like food writers who still write that. And it's like, well, Polish food is also an ethnic food. And our mini hot dogs with meat sauce on them is part of our ethnicity. It's part of our culture. It's like part it's, of the makeup of my entire body. Yeah, 98% mini hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I feel like that's something that people are starting to pay more attention to. I feel like the language around, I feel like, you know, do you remember like five years ago, it was all hashtag proper glassware? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And that became a whole thing. Good. It's good oh, that you, you never saw that. that. Oh, yeah. No, no, it it's a thing. I am all about proper glass. No, 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 no. But the problem is it, it wasn't my problem with it was it's not a Pilsner glass for a Pilsner. It was it has the logo of it of the beer that I'm drinking. So it's proper. Oh. It became a T-shirt, too. Perfect. But I, I liked uh, who, who was it that uh, proper vaseware? Was it untapped the BTS? Oh God, I didn't know so about it was that. So like pour, pouring beers into a vase and be like hashtag proper vaseware. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, however you ingest your beer, right? And just yeah. go for it. Um, but I feel like you know that's kind of not like bring applying. up the Jackass movie. We don't want to do that. Well, there's another team, uh, a tale of redemption, right? So speaking of redemption, we were talking about Mike Tyson earlier, yeah. boxing and Louis C.K. and yeah, this has been a weird fucking podcast. We've been all over the place. <laughs> I can tell you this. Every one of these. Yeah. <laughs> no, this this is different. No, this is <laughs> but I feel like that's also yeah. when you have a podcast led by journalism, because journalism, right, is like the best industry for somebody who's naturally um, curious yeah. and just cannot sate that that curiosity. Right. You right. just want to learn about you everything. You learn about so much. You're always learning something new every day. You realize how much you don't know when you're a journalist. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And if you get to a point where you feel like you're an expert in your field, you shouldn't be a journalist. Go work yeah, No, exactly. No. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's daunting at the same time, but it's also uh, very cool yeah. that way. But to be honest, at least once a week, Andrew will make me feel dumb. Dumb. <laughs> with like a, oh, because like it, it could be like a band or some, oh, yeah. uh, like an actor or something. And like, and I, I feel pretty well versed in that. And yeah. he'll say something. I'm like, never heard of it. Right. <laughs> well, you, yeah, I, I have a know. colleague that tells me every time we have a, like, a strategy meeting, he's like, I feel like I go to school every time I have a meeting with you. I'm like, great. I'm glad that all of the. Yeah, right. The, you know, folds in my brain have netted you something. That's great. Um, but do you feel just like in terms of like just in terms of like the culture that is sort yeah. of around in the capital district? Like I feel like people are starting to appreciate it. I okay. think that they're starting to see like, like the people that live here or are people outside or both here. OK, I don't you know, I don't know if there's a lot of outside attention paid to. But that's also like uh, purely marketing. Yeah. Like it's just not being marketed as like a great place to go and, and dine. But we have like an. An Indonesian restaurant that mm. has routinely been ranked with multiple stars on every, you know, has been honored by James Beard and has, oh, yeah, Yonos. Oh, yeah. 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 Right? So it's really, we had Burmese restaurants. So Francis Lamb, who's um, a, a huge food journalist, he runs the podcast A Splendid Table. He's an editor at Clarkson Potter. Um, really super influential guy was here to do a book talk and I gave him a ride from 
SUNY Albany to the train station at one time, and he stopped at Vans to get Vietnamese. And it's like, but there's better Vietnamese. There's better generally like Southeast Asian food. We had like a Laos restaurant. We had Burmese restaurants. And he's like, we don't even have Burmese restaurants in New York City. But I feel like that's a cool thing that people are starting to see, like Albany, Utica, Rochester, all these places that had like um, uh, refugee centers mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the government. Like people right. stayed. That's why Utica has so much Polish, like really good Polish food and really good Italian food because that's where people went. Horrible roadways, though. That is true. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, that tomato pie makes it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> would you Would you say that, like, in, in my view, it yeah. feels like five years ago, the the groundwork was laid yeah. and people didn't appreciate it and it was kind of frustrating for me. Yeah. And now I do think people are starting to like really get into that. Like you can go to all these different breweries and all yeah. these different cool restaurants right. on, a, on your Friday night. And I, five years ago it was like, we have all these breweries that nobody really cares about. Right. And now it's, we have so many even more breweries and everybody's going to the, all of them. Right. I wish, I wish we had a couple less breweries. I have yeah, yeah right. there's a lot yeah I have there a weird have theory about that though have opened up since we opened yeah 20 miles of here yeah 14 but I feel like that's also because like you can do that in New York City or you can open a Burmese restaurant as an immigrant in New York City because you can afford it here yeah like the yeah. cost of living yeah. is lower yep. so the real estate is lower so you can do it here and just but it, because it's Albany it's Saratoga it's not New York City it's not Harlem it doesn't sound as sexy Right. And so people are like, eh. So I was, and still am, a judge for the James Beard Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which has been, because I, I don't ascribe to awards. Like, I feel like it's all, like, very glamour pussy and whatever. It's not, like, something I really care about. But it's also an opportunity to shift the mentality. Like, mm. the New York State best restaurant probably isn't in New York, in New York City. It's probably no. in someplace tucked away yeah maybe it's in lake placid or maybe it's in geneva (laughs) (laughs) it's somewhere go there a lot definitely not there it's probably somewhere north of beacon right we can all at least agree on that (laughs) 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 i like that beacon was like the yeah we're gonna stick a pin in this one like we're north of it yeah we're doing it's a good marker it's a good marker it is Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know so i feel like Finally, now, for whatever reason, I think a lot of it is social media. And I feel like that's why, like, beer is thriving, too. Because people, you know, I just took a picture of my Unified Beer Works Pilsner with all our pot. That's a fucking sexy photo, right? That's really nice. It's not bad, yeah. Um, But, like, so one thing I'm curious, though, like, and and maybe this is. I'm going to post it on Instagram. Maybe this is just a theory that I have in my own head that we were, when we were just talking about it, where it's like five years ago, the foundation was laid and you were frustrated. It's like, was it the pandemic? We couldn't fucking go anywhere. Yeah. So we kind of almost had to appreciate what was right near us because that's all we had access to sort of in that way. But even in the pandemic, like you have all these pop-ups that started. Like That's also true. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people who maybe never had the ability for whatever reason to take the big leap to open a restaurant or to start a brewery. But, you know, they're able to do this like, you know, Chinese dumpling pop-up. Yeah. And that becomes a big thing. And, like, you know, shady shit normally, but somehow now it's cool, like, to meet somebody <laughs> in a parking lot and to buy dumplings. Like, well, that's kind of like a drug deal. But I for dumplings. I've done those drug deals, yeah. I haven't, seen, <laughs> I haven't seen it this year. It might be going on. Maybe I'm too busy. But, like, last year, like, Troy Asian Night was a right, The Asian great. market, yeah. yeah Joey's, like, shares that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, yep. I haven't seen it this year. I've been paying attention. It's, 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 it
it did. did. Yeah, I knew it was at a t- at a time where like, like I had shit going on. I see it all the time because food like shares the shit out of that stuff all the but, time. Yeah. But having yeah, that so. is, you know, like I went a couple weeks ago, my wife's Filipino, and we went to Albany, had a Filipino fest. Well, really? In Washington Park, and, and we went there, and we weren't late. Yeah. All the food was already sold out. Every yeah. vendor oh my God. sold out of all their food. It was like when Bound by Fate started their kitchen. The Laos? Oh, my gosh. Incredible. Right. First Which, shout out to them there. for that, too, because I know you First mentioned obviously. We yeah. there, like We got there early because we're friends with them, and they let us actually yeah. get in before they opened. Yeah. That place was fucking mobbed. Yeah. Five minutes after they were open, you couldn't get in the door. Right. It's because they're offering something that not a lot of places offer right. out Nobody here. Nobody does. I've never even seen Lao cuisine anywhere. Right. And they do it in little old Schuylerville. And you would think, like, this is not the place to put this kind of food. Oh, no. The locals have embraced that so much. A huge success story to me. Yeah. Right. And also, it's really interesting. Like, Schuylerville is a stone's throw from downtown Saratoga. Yeah. It's like, what, 20 minutes maybe? And Nine miles east farm is right there. Right there, it's that's right. Yeah. yeah, it depends on how good of an arm you have, though. Like, yeah. uh, true. Yeah, how how well can you really throw that rack? Um, <laughs> but Saratoga is so like we were talking about white, right? What do you mean? They had they yeah. were the KKK targeted them. Why? I know, right? <laughs> but even like I like imagine. institutionally, rich, rich white folk. Yeah. you know, they they wrote a law a couple of years ago that prevented people from sitting on the sidewalk, which was really just to displace homeless people who are already displaced and keep people from busking. Yeah, and it's like, but busking is kind of like there was always that guy outside of Lillian's, whatever the hell that is now who mm. was out with his multiple stringed instruments, who was mm-hmm. a fantastic musician and got thrown a couple of bucks here and there. And yeah. it's like, that adds to the vedenda of the place. It's like, gives it its culture and its identity. And yeah, we have the track and everything else. And I know you want to hide all the Hispanic workers that are actually doing the hard work of this industry. The horse is dying, you know. Yeah, right? It's awful. But, you know, social media and people just generally having more curiosity about the world has lent to places like Bound by Fate being able, and low real estate prices, sure. being able to open up a Laos restaurant. That's amazing. Yeah. And it also like speaks to their culture. Also, they're awesome people. And I think yeah, people want to support amazing. people who are good. With them. He needs something. He knows he, it's one phone call away. Yeah, all those demos. We'll give him whatever he needs. Yeah. He's short a bag of grain or pops or whatever, like, and that's yeah, also something that I've noticed is really unique to the beer industry that I've written about is the collabor- the collaborative approach to beer. You don't really see that in a lot of – now you're seeing it more in restaurants. Mm-hmm. But brewers are super collaborative. We are we are very good friends with almost every other brewer. Yeah, we – if yeah. we're short, like, well, we know who we can call. And right. Oh, yeah. And there are people like Nick from Whitman calls me all the time like, dude, shit, yeah. I'm short, whatever. Do you have a bag of this? Like, yeah, yeah come on down. Right. Well, it, ha- it goes both ways. Yeah, the other, too. and we do it plenty of times too with everybody else. Yeah, we get short on hops sometimes, and I'll call Common Roots or I'll call Northway because it's one of those things where you only generally would call in a favor to someone who's bigger than you, right? Right, because they can spare it typically. Right. Um, so yeah, the people who tend to call us like produce less than we do. Right. The people who I call produce way more than we do. Right. But yeah, we, we do that stuff a lot. And I don't think people realize, and it's something that I always try to write about, because I think it's important for, like, average Joe, Joe Schmo beer drinker to know, like, there are these huge global shortages that impact your local brewery, like the aluminum, like, being able to get cans. Now CO2, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I just read a whole thing on CO2 this morning from our supplier. 
it looks like we'll be okay, but I don't know if we will. Yeah. Right. And if we're not, here's the f- sad fucking fact. If CO2 goes away, yeah. we shut this place down tomorrow. Yeah. Night Shift we, has, like, outsourced all of their brewing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Which is amazing. We use so Which, much CO2 here. We don't, if we're moving beer from one tank to another, we push it with CO2. We have to purge those big tanks basically running co2 in them for an hour and a half it's just i feel i'll be honest with you we can put a system in to recapture co2 from fermentation it's going to cost 185 thousand something like that right we don't have the money but we might do it anyway because we can't get fucking caught with our pants down and not have co2 right how do we push beer out of those taps how do we carbonate beer it right. all comes from those two fucking bulk tanks over there. Right. And if they can't get filled, we are completely fucked. Yep. Like proper fucked. For sure. And I feel like, you know, bring it back to I journalism. like that proper fucked, though. That was, that was a fucked. nice way to put yeah. it. <laughs> I was just reading a Julia Child quote today that was like, um, the only proper she binge is... No, she said proper binge. The only proper binge. Is I feel like, like proper fucked is something you hear in Snatch. What, what was the quote? I think, <laughs> came from that yeah. I think the quote was the only proper binge is life. And I was like, oh damn, yeah. Oh, fuck. fuck chocolate cake. Yeah. yeah. But what do you, just from your perspective yeah. and just kind of talking with everyone though, what is it about sort of the brewing industry that lends itself to all of that willingness to collaborate in that manner? Well, I think beer is a social product. People drink alone, but usually, you know, most people, when they're introduced to beer for the first time, it's like a social environment. And so there's just a social. And most people who decide to take the leap to leave their lives and become brewers or to work in the brewing industry, like, come from a culture where you're not not just homebrewing alone. You're sharing it with people and you're, you know, being involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every batch that I made is a homebrewer. I might have had half of a pint. Right. And the rest of it went out to Henry Street, the Rock. Right. Albany Allen Oyster, Powers Pub. Like, right. tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. Tell me. I, I gave it all away. Right. So I was trying to build this brand before it was even, before a business plan had even been written. Right. And I mean, your, your name lends to that kind of mentality, too. We've all been around a lot of brewers. Like, everyone's got their problems and their demons. And people who work in the service industry, I feel like everyone's kind of an oddball in some way like you're not just hitting the norms of society like what, you're always a little bit of a person what on the do outskirt. you mean and i know journalists could also be when i <laughs> no no i'm not trying to i'm not trying to listen not trying to make that about me i used to, <laughs> I used to manage a restaurant and i would i would tell the staff all the time remind them that like you think that all these people coming in are weirdos yeah. no we're the weirdos yeah we are. We are weird. And we found our people. <laughs> and yeah. we're all together. Like, we're united in our bubble. Right. But we're the weird people that think that, like, they're strange for asking us a question for that we've never thought of, you know? For sure. Like, why would they don't know that? Like, well, we know it because we're weird. <laughs> right. Right. You know, my, my parents don't know the answer to that question. Right. You find your people. And I feel like you really have found your people. In the brewing industry or yeah. the food service or, you know, any, and, anything. And I think the brewing and food service industry are kind of the same type of people. Yeah. You know, and so we're, trying to take care we're of the weird. <laughs> we're the weirdos, you yeah. know, like that. And, and that unites us in, yeah. in not trying to compete with each other that, no, you can't have my hops. They're my hops. It's, 
Oh, yeah, right. I got it. Yeah, because I'd love to try the beer that you're going to make with that. And I also think that brewers have realized on some level, like there is competition, right? You want people to come to your brewery, but at the same time, you all do better when you all do better. Like when you're all able to, to an extent. Sure. <laughs> I, I'll always say this: the the pizza is only so big, right. and there's only so many slices to go around. Yeah, Paul Leona, you know, at the New York State um, Brewers Association. Association will say the same thing and he gets it and it's not just like on a local level on a state level like new york state is one slice of that pizza yeah how big is that slice gonna be how big how big of a pizza does saratoga county have right like more places are opening right another one is opening right in boston spa right it's gonna undoubtedly cut into our bottom line right undoubtedly right but i feel like beer is just such a it's okay. cool to cover it i yeah i'm not a brewer so i can't speak of from that perspective, but from the journalistic perspective, um, it's always really interesting because it's endlessly creative. Yes. You have, but people are also like, you know, Sam Pagano, who was at Mad Jack, and then he was at um, the pump station, and now he's down at Low Tide in South Carolina, yep. is my dear friend. And I remember like... He's a funny motherfucker on social oh media. He, yes, he is. <laughs> oh, my he God. Is. I, but he's like that in real life, too. That's who he oh, is. Yeah. He... Yeah. I laugh out loud at least once a week. It's something that he posts. Yeah. Love him, dearly. A lot of it about forklifts. But <laughs> yeah, he's got a weird thing for forklifts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Although I, I... I, Have you operated a forklift? Do you want to, like, <laughs> no, but I recently you learned that you need to go to OC's class. We have one in the back if you want to drive it around. <laughs> yes. We'll That's, make it easy so you can't... It sounded like a really good question. I got a forklift if you want to see it. Really, my only goal in life is to have like all of the icons that you can possibly have on your driver's license, right? There you the, go. Yeah, that's it. The, the forklift operator. Line. Do you want to drive my forklift? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might get some people off. Who knows? But um, Sam would make you believe it does. It does. For <laughs> Sam, it does. It's all poop jokes and forklifts for yeah. Sam Pagano. Um, True story. But, you know, somebody who's a super creative guy, but also pays a lot of attention to, like, the basics, right? Like, you have to make a really, I mean... A really good Pilsner. We all just drank it. You have to be able to do, like, the core styles to utmost proficiency. You have to show that you can do that before you can go and make, like, a yoo style pastry stout, right? Because you have a million things <laughs> to hide behind with yeah. that. Yeah. You, there's, there's unlimited ways that you could hide your flaws in a beer like that. Sure. Just add more chocolate. Add more this. Add more that. Yeah. Oh, there's a little bit of an off flavor. Well, just let's add more vanilla. See right. what that does. Right. Right? There's a lot of cheats. Yeah. This beer... There's no cheese. There's nowhere, There's to, nowhere hide. to hide. Nowhere yeah. at all. And you are standing there naked on a rock in the middle of a field with no protection at all. And I feel like that's the cool thing about covering beer. Like, you could just write about that. You could just write about beer styles. And I feel like there are people like, like John Hall, who is a big, big beer writer, who I absolutely adore. I love him. Writes a lot about that. You know, and it's like, or Lou Bryson is another one who's more writing about whiskey now, but he wrote about beer for a long time. Um, Kara Newman, you know, there's these beer writers who can just, they could have a whole career just writing about that. Um, but it's, it's cool to watch people who are really skilled at what they do, do their thing, do it well, and be able to share that with people. And I feel like that's kind of like the attraction of, you know, beer journalism. You know, Fuge, Matt Schur is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. He's not a journalist. He's a blogger, he's a social media influencer, but he gets real excited about a cool thing. Watching somebody who's really good at what they do and being able to share it with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And like, God bless those people. Well, I think that's the big 
the big draw for me on beer now is mm-hmm. the story of the beer. Yeah. Not, not like oh, it tastes like this. Like we've all tasted enough beer at this point that mm-hmm. we've tasted good beer. Right. Like, but what else is there to the p to, to the story that's not right? You know why why is it called that? Why is it? Why do they do? You know our our latest thing was a French pilsner. Why oh. do we do a French pilsner? Interesting. Because I'm a psycho about bike racing, and I timed it with the start of the Tour de France. Perfect. Jeff likes cycling. We did it. We did an Italian pills. Did an Italian pills. We timed it with the start of the Giro d'Italia. Right, but like the brewing industry, the distilling industry is also like a problem-solving industry. Like if an uh, ingredient falls short somewhere, how do you fix it? Like I was just reading a piece about a distillery in New Hampshire that's taking the green crab, the Asian green crab um, infiltration essentially of the coastline, and they're harvesting those crabs and using them as a filtration system for a gin, I think. What? Right? Awesome. That's amazing. That is dope. That is yeah. yeah. Try and talk about being innovative with your problem right. solving. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I don't think people, it's always cracks me up, like, vegans think that beer is totally fine. Or wine. Like, wine is vegan. It's like, mm, usually not. Like, Chardonnay yeah. is filtered through oyster shell. Sorry. Interesting. And That's right. Go fuck yourself, vegans. Vegans. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a vegan. <laughs> but, like, you know. I, I do. For, I for the listener at home, Jeff and Eric are quasi-vegan. Um, no, I'm vegetarian. I vegetarian. I went on a plant-based diet beginning of the year. Your Dijon mustard that always includes Chardonnay is... Vegans, I was, I was joking, guys. Uh, sorry. So then you're set. I'm set. You're set. But, you know, it says inter- like things like that. It can tell a whole story. That's the thing that always got me so excited about writing about this stuff is that it was never just like, here's a new beer that came out. What is the cool thing about that beer or the cool thing about that brewery or the initiative that they're taking? There's always... I wrote... I think in like 2011, maybe this whole thing about um, art and the beer industry, like the beer industry was tapping into the creativity of the label and how visually interesting that was. It was a whole different thing that other people, yeah, right? All of your labels up there. Um, Super graphics, super just interesting to look at that other products weren't doing. Well, I remember, I remember there was, I, I was amazed. I saw the Today Show, you know, probably seven, eight. Which years segment ago now. was it? The third or fourth? They had or the <laughs> second or the, the two o'clock one. No, it was, it was in like. <laughs> yeah, they have a I three o'clock it, segment. I think it was. It was, it was the the second block. They had a whole thing on uh, beer labels. I was like, I, I saw it online. I wasn't watching. I don't watch the Today Show. But, um, Sounds like you do. But they had a whole a whole piece yeah. on like go, they went to the Alchemist. Showing yeah. like the the new the, them drawing the new Rapture label, they went to other half who's also you know has an in house designer for it, and and just seeing like that is on today's show where people yeah. are going, oh there's a brewery in Vermont called you know they they never heard of it before, yeah, right. but right. it's on it's on national TV because of the label. Yeah, when you see that heavy topper logo on a shirt, you know exactly what that is. I do kind of wish, though, that they were doing that when Against the Grain was a big deal. And what was it, the brown note or the brown out? If they would have covered that label. Oh, yeah. And, but anyway, that's just, yeah, yeah, the brown note, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway. It's just, it's so. (laughs) You just killed the conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Super bummer. Um, That's what I'm here for. What are we? I, I also <laughs> I run the conversation. Quarters now. I, 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 I run the conversation. I also kill it. 
But I mean, you know, there's, I feel like brewers are like, like accidental instigators. Like maybe they're not getting into the beer industry to create change, but somehow it happens. And I feel like we're seeing that in the process of brewing and the people who are doing the brewing and how it's marketed and the story that you're telling and absorbing the local culture and putting that into your beer, the, the place, you know, the terroir that you're getting your ingredients from and telling that story. And so like, you know, brewers are all right. I mean, they have given me a lot of paychecks, so I do appreciate it. A lot of stories about beer, but interrupt for one second. Yeah. Does anybody need a beer? I'm good. Thank I'm you. I'm good. Yeah. If you want, we get it now because we're cleaning the lines. So ah. the draft system's gonna be. Well, that down. might be a good spot to end. I was going to say, podcast. actually, I kind of liked the way that you yeah. sort of just closed that out. So, Deanna, thank yeah. you. You're welcome. This is thank this you is guys. it's a conversation that slightly went off the rails, but I think that's always kind of a fun way to do it. It right? went all this conversation went all over. The went place. all over the place. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as as we've mentioned numerous times, you can find us on all the different kind of podcast platforms. Follow us, uh, Unified Beer Works, on Instagram, on Facebook. Pretty sure it's the same hashtag everywhere. Or not hashtag, the same username everywhere. Uh, but again, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you later. Talk to you later. Bye.